This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to the Indie Film Hustle Podcast, episode number 276. It is the power of memory that gives rise to the power of imagination. Akira Kurosawa. Broadcasting from the back alley in Hollywood, it's the Indie Film Hustle Podcast, where we show you how to survive and thrive as an indie filmmaker in the jungles of the film biz. And here's your host, Alex Ferrari. Welcome, Indie Film Hustlers, to another episode of the Indie Film Hustle Podcast. I am your humble host, Alex Ferrari. Today's show is sponsored by Black Box. Black Box is a new platform and community that is all about financial freedom for filmmakers like you. If you join Blackbox, you will be transformed from being a worker to being a maker of your own content, and you'll be making steady passive income from the global market. Blackbox currently allows you to upload your stock footage once, get it to many global agencies, and then allows you to share that passive income stream with your collaborators. Whether you want to submit old footage that's been sitting around in your hard drives or create brand new content, Blackbox is for you. It's really quite revolutionary. With Blackbox, filmmakers can concentrate on making great content while Blackbox takes care of all the business BS. Just visit www.blackbox.global to find out more. And today's show is also sponsored by Indie Film Hustle TV, the world's first streaming service dedicated to filmmakers, screenwriters, and content creators. If you want access to filmmaking documentaries, feature films about filmmaking, interviews with some of the top screenwriters and filmmakers in Hollywood, as well as educational online courses all in one place, IFH TV is for you. Just head over to IndieFilmHustle.tv. Now, before we get started, I do have to address the elephant in the room, which is IFH TV. I want to thank everybody who signed up, and it was a massive launch for Indie Film Hustle TV. I want to thank all of the tribe, all of the new members of the tribe who are right now, as we speak, watching documentaries, watching online courses, watching exclusive interviews, and all the other kind of cool stuff that we have on IFH TV. I just want to thank you. I'm humbled. Uh, I truly, truly am humbled by it. And we have so much more stuff coming in December, January, and in the future for IFH TV. So every month, uh, I will be putting out a special episode of IFH TV. It's not an official episode, but it'll just be the things that we'll be bringing to IFH TV every month. We'll be doing that as well. So keep an eye out for that. But thank you guys again. And I want to give a big shout out to every Indie Film Hustle Tribe member I ran into at AFM at the American Film Market. That was uh, it was so awesome to talk to you guys. I spoke to a lot of you guys one-on-one for a while. I, I met you, some of you guys at parties, on this, uh, just walking around AFM. I was humbled by your kind words. Thank you again 
so much for being part of our tribe. And I'm so glad that I could be of service to you on your filmmaking journey. So thank you so, so much. And I will be having a AFM wrap up episode coming up in the next episode or two. So keep an eye out for that as well. Now, today's show has William Dickerson, the author of Detour Hollywood, How to Direct a Micro-Budget Film. Now, I want to have William on because he wrote this awesome book about how he he directed his first micro-budget film. And I wanted to get in the weeds a bit to show the tribe what the nuts and bolts of actually shooting a micro-budget film actually looks like. And William has an amazing perspective on it as well. He's done multiple movies like this, and he did it because he was tired of waiting for other people to give him permission to make his movie. So I thought it would be extremely inspirational as well as extremely informational for the tribe. So without any further ado, please enjoy my conversation with William Dickerson. I'd like to welcome to the show William Dickerson, man. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm really happy to be here. Thanks, man. There's, there's, there's few other micro-budget gurus out there that I like that I can talk to. So thank you for hopefully coming in and dropping some bombs on the uh, knowledge bombs on the uh, tribe today. I, I hope to drop a few. <laughs> <laughs> so first and foremost, why in God's green earth did you get into this business? <laughs> oh gosh, I mean, you know, uh, I don't think it's that uncommon. My my rationale. I mean, I just love movies. You know, I grew up in a time, you know, where. I, I was talking to someone the other day about how lucky I am to um, – well, I'm 39 years old. Mm-hmm. And as a kid, I grew up with you know Steven Spielberg's sure. movies. And yeah. then in my teenage years, it was the explosion of you know alternative and grunge rock. And I, then, mm-hmm. and I became a musician. So it's like these two tremendous art forms that informed my life, music and movies. I felt that I just sort of was there. At the, at the right age, at the right time, mm-hmm. to, to be influenced by these waves, and from that point on, I was like, I have to, I have to express myself through through art, and it's through, primarily through through movies that that sort of um, hooked me. And then, what made you jump into the micro budget world of filmmaking and, and kind of doing things outside of the Hollywood system? Did you ever try to get invited to the party and got kicked uh, out like sure. me? <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, yeah, I indeed I did. I mean, I went to. Uh, grad school uh, for film at the American Film Institute. I graduated in wow. 2006. Very fancy, sir. Um, Very fancy. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I mean, it, but and then of course, uh, <laughs> I thought, well, I got the, I'm the, good. the world in my hand. I'm I good. Graduate. Now. <laughs> I'm good. I have AFI I on my resume. Yeah. Where just where's the money? I just where's it? Come on, just well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I had, a, had a, you know, quote unquote, a hot short film, and I come out of there, and literally, <laughs> as I'm trying to seg, you know, uh, uh, assimilate myself into the into Hollywood, the writer strike happened. Oh, uh, yes, I which, remember that very, very well. Yeah, which lasted, I mean, I think about two years. I mean, it was really a tough time. It was a rough. For, it was it was a, it, we, we call that the dark times. <laughs> it, yeah, seriously, <laughs> it I was mean, a and, rough, rough time in the Hollywood. Yeah. It was, and I was, you know, I wasn't in any, any guild, but what happened was like my scripts, no one would look at them. Just like, well, we're, we can't, it's a complete shutdown. So as far as trying to get yourself a job in the industry, it was really difficult, particularly mm-hmm. as a writer. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that was sort of like, okay, I'm sitting on my hands for a year. I got to do something. And that's where the idea of a micro-budget film came into play. It's like, you know what, I got to, I, I know how to do this, um, but how can I, can I do it myself? Is that is that actually 
realistic. And so my writing partner and I decided just to write with budget in mind, which, you know, film professors tell you to never do. Um, but we're like, okay, what can we do with like one, one guy, one location? And that's what, that's how detour came about, which is my first film about a guy, a, an advertising executive who was trapped in his car during a mudslide. Um, so logistically manageable, right? Very, um, but, but of course to, to go back to, to your question, it turned out to be a pretty decent script and it could be done for nothing by nothing. I mean, what, 10, 15 grand if I, you know, beg, borrow and steal, mm -hmm. but this person liked it, that person liked it. And suddenly Hollywood sort of, uh, put its, put its hands around its throat and said, oh, okay, we can give you a million dollars. And we, we have this uh, famous person who, who's yes. interested or that famous person. So mm -hmm. of course I was tempted. I was like, you know, I could make this movie for nothing with, you know, my friends, or I can tread down this path of enticement and see where it leads. And what it led to was three years of, <laughs> of, of, you know, deals that went nowhere. <laughs> I'm, sh I'm absolutely shocked. I yeah, can't yeah. believe that has happened. It's so rare in Hollywood. Yeah. I mean, I've did that uh, for twenty years. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not even joking you. Wow. I did. I wasn't as smart as you. I kept chasing the carrot and chasing <laughs> the carrot and meetings and meetings and yeah. And it was like it's it's just around the corner. It's just around the corner. And it, I decided no. Always is. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's it was tough because you know. I mean, again, it was right out of school. I'm sure, I'm sure you felt similarly. Like, oh yeah. man, this person's interested, and that's great. I'm having these great meetings. Everyone loves it. But when sure, push comes to shove, sure, sure, sure. Yeah, it just the money's just doesn't come through, or they pull out at the last minute, and you spend all this time mm -hmm. working for nothing. By the way, of course, obviously, <laughs> obviously, no one's going to pay you for development. That's no, that's no, insane. of course not. That's insane. Um, so you went down this whole road, and yeah. uh, you you figured out after three years that this is I'm not like going to happen. It's about time, you know. I better I, either I'm doing it or I'm not doing it. I'm, I, I, and the good thing is that I wrote. I always knew that I wrote this thing to make for nothing, and that gave me a lot of courage and strength mm -hmm. to say, you know what, I don't, I don't need Hollywood to do this. It's, it's fun and interesting that these people are interested, but I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna do it. And once I made that decision, everything fell into place. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, we made, uh, made a proof of concept for the film, which is just myself, the, the actor, Neil Hopkins and my DP, Rob Krejci, who I went to AFI with, and we mm -hmm. just shot it in his garage, in his car. So I took it around to some, you know, uh, small financiers or just people who are interested in the film. Like, this is what I'm, what, what I can do. This is the actor that I want. Uh, he's, you know, very compelling in the role. Uh, and we were able to raise just a, a little bit of money by a little bit of money. I mean, for, 40 grand. <laughs> that's, a, that's not, I mean, look, in my world, that's a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, no, seriously. Yeah. I mean, I, I look, I, I intended to make this thing for 10 grand. So 40 grand, I was like, oh, this is a big budget movie. <laughs> this is like, we could eat every day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and we, we cobbled it together and we made a movie and uh, we're logistically mindful of everything. And we'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And now back to the show. Uh, we ended up uh, a year. Uh, well, let's see. That was 2010. And then took, of course, we ran out of money in post. What a sh- again, you're just throwing shocks at me <laughs> left and right. But let's back up for a second. This is 2010. Yeah. So I remember when I did my $50,000 short film, let's not get into that, um, <laughs> around 2011. So the technology around that time, if I remember, yeah. the red was out. Yep. Um, did you shoot this on the red? What did you shoot on I the red? I did. Yeah. yeah shot it red on the- one. Yeah. Red, red one. And the mm-hmm. post workflow was fantastic, wasn't it? It was great. (laughs) (laughs) So you were actually doing it at a time where, you know, like today in today's technology, in today's world, 40 grand will go a lot lot farther than it did in 2010. Yeah. I mean, you know, technology is in such a place where if you're smart, um, even at a consumer level, you can make a real quality looking Mm -hmm. uh, film. Yeah, you know? absolutely. All right. So you got a lot. So you run out of money in post, I'm assuming because of workflow issues and other things. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I mean, so we basically we got it to a point where we had a picture lock, but there was no sound or color, post sound or color, right? Right. Uh, you know, so it didn't quite look like a real movie. And you sound- shot in 4K yeah. and your hard drives probably were like yeah, to the brim. And- <laughs> exactly. Uh, but the thing was, we had it, we had something to show people. And then, sure. then, then I was able, this is when I was able to use my, uh, the Hollywood meager Hollywood contacts that I had um, <laughs> acquired sure. and I took it around to people who had turned me down or whatever, or like, you know, weren't interested at first. And I said, Hey, here's, let's screen the film. This is a movie that can, you know, have legs. We didn't shoot it for that much. So we just need a little bit more money for posts. Um, and I ended up taking it to this company called level one entertainment. And, sure. and I had, one of the best meetings I've ever had. Uh, we, we screened the film, and meanwhile, the the owner, Bill Tobin, he's sort of moaning and groaning throughout. And I'm like, oh man, is that a good sign or a bad sign? This is hate <laughs> 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 the film. And at the end, he's like, man, that was that was a rush. And he said, how much do you want for it? And my producer, I won't say the sum, but it was a lot more money than what we made it for. It's like, we'll do it for this. I was like, oh, who do I write the check to? It's like, really? It was a different time. It was a different time. (laughs) That would never happen today. (laughs) (laughs) That would never in a million years happen today. You were in the right. No, I'm serious. Like, if everyone listening, this is 2010, which is honestly, I can't believe it happened then because you were still during the the crisis. It was only a couple years after the crisis happened, the financial crisis. Yeah. But in today's today's world, the no, 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 not, not as no, easy. Not even close. Um, so it was, it was, it was a, a lucky moment. But the thing was, you know, you got to be lucky. Moments occur, but you have to be prepared for those moments, yes. right? You got to have your material. You got to be prepared, and we were. 
Uh, and that sort of launched my career as an, as an, in, as an indie filmmaker. Now, the, I, I want to just kind of highlight something in, the, in your story here. You went through this three-year process, which was a waste of time. You learned, I'm sure, a lot of lessons oh, along yeah. the way. Sure. You met some people maybe here and there. But overall, it was just a lot of spinning of your wheels uh, and a lot of waste of time. But when you actually made something, did you find it easier getting in those doors? Because you are – and then basically at the the 1% of the 1%, yeah. you know, that actually do something and don't allow yourself to stop because it didn't have every perfect thing that you were looking for. You're just like, screw it. I'm going to go do this. Yep. Is that basically true? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, I knew, you, you know, to, to become a feature filmmaker, you have to, well, it's. There's a catch point too. How do you become a feature filmmaker? Well, you, you have had to have made one before. <laughs> is it, is, our business that? is the only business that could we literally give our own titles to. Like you get a business card and like I'm a director. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. but, but even worse, the producer because everyone's a producer. Um, but a director is like you need to show that you've yeah. directed. Exactly. Um, so that was the thing. Like I had to make this feature. So once I did, yeah, I mean it elevated me to – a much more marketable level. I could take, you know, meetings with bigger companies or people that took me more seriously because it was no longer. And I got this question a ton, you know, I, I would get this question all the time before I made detours. Like, well, you made short films. How can we trust you to make a feature? Oh, film? God. Which is such it. a stupid oh, question. Son of a bitch. <laughs> Look, I'll even take you one further. I had, a, I did commercials and I did commercials that just happened, didn't happen to have anyone speaking in them. So when yeah. a commercial came along that said, hey, uh, this has dialogue. Can you handle that? I'm like, oh boy, are you? It's 30 seconds. They're gonna say, ooh, ah, and we're done. What's wrong with you? <laughs> people, people just don't have so vision. They're so narrow-minded. They're yeah. so narrow-minded. They're no vision. You know why? And I, and I think you would agree with this that the entire business is run on fear. Oh, 100 percent. It's run completely on fear, and because the budgets are so big, sometimes you know, you make the wrong move, you're done. So yeah. I kind of get it from a certain perspective, but you've got to. Gotta have some balls sometimes, yeah, man. You know, it's all it's especially now, it's all about uh, you know, risk assessment and oh, you know, very specific strategic demographic research. There's no there's no uh <laughs> you know taking chances on filmmakers anymore. I mean, maybe here and there, but it's really rare. Those those days are kind yeah, of taxi gone. driver's not being made today. No, that's not even close. Not even close to being made today. Like it's we would have never seen a taxi driver today, uh, easy rider. No um, all those movies from the 70s, uh, you know, all those great movies that they made would never have been made today. Some of the stuff that gets made in the Hollywood system back then, I was like, how did that get – how did that get through? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I can only hope that things are cyclical, right? Because, you know, the, hope so. that, that revolution, like the golden age of cinema in the late 60s and 70s, that kind of came about because the studio system, those movies they were putting crashed. out got so stale. Yeah. And they, they were making no, no money. Um, then they I, gave the I, assi- what is it? They gave the, the keys to the lunatics to run yeah, the asylum. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. They didn't know what else to do. So okay, well, you guys try it, and look what happened. Yeah, uh, exactly. And you so know, maybe maybe something like that will happen in the in the future. I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm not a big fan of these huge temple movies that are sort of regurgitating this. I mean, there 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 are some good ones, but they're for me, fun. they're all yeah. they're very formulaic oh, and yeah. the same thing you've seen before a million times. And I think people will at some point get a bit bored. I think I, I think you know what Spielberg said really uh, poignantly was that you know there is going to be an implosion. Yeah. Hollywood will, will implode on itself because they are taking larger and larger risks. Correct. And as soon as you know, if Avatar two comes out, 
and does not perform, it couldn't – it can literally crash a studio. Yeah, and that's scary. You know, it's literally – you know, when you have half a billion dollars on the line, Oof. you got one or two of those and, and you're done. You know, yep. and, you know, that's a big, big risk. And that will happen. I think it will happen eventually. I don't know. I think, uh, you know, the we're getting off topic a little bit. But, I mean, generally speaking, I, I don't know if these big tent poles I, – I mean, I do enjoy going to the theaters, you know, to see a Marvel movie because I'm, I'm, sure. I'm a Marvel geek. And, sure. you know, and then the occasional, you know, Dark Knight shows up or Logan shows up where they oh, yeah. s- they sneak in an insanely good movie that would be good with or without a superhero in it. Exactly. You know, they happen every once in a while as well. Um, but these other things that keep coming out, uh, you know, the, and I'm not going to throw out names, but, you know, sure. but movies that just like are so formulaic and are, people are tired of it. And that's why people, I think, are going more towards to, um, to uh, serialized storytelling, which is oh, yeah. Netflix shows, Stranger Things, The Americans, you know, Game of Thrones. That's where people are getting a lot of their entertainment from. That's why Hollywood is kind of starting to, to hit, feel it a little bit, or at least the feature world is. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, um, I, I like serialized television. I mean, I think that's yeah. it's brand new territory and there's so many, so much good content out there. Mm-hmm. But the, the, the question is, how is that, is that negatively affecting the, the feature film world? And I think to an extent it is. And I wonder, is there, is there a happy medium? Can these two art forms live together happily or is one going to destroy the other? I'm not sure. It's going to be interesting because we have generations being raised like th- like my children, you know, who are mm-hmm. y- young kids, they're watching full seasons yeah. of cartoons on Netflix. Like they just yeah. like you know, I just let them watch a, a series that was like Spirit, like the horse, a horse cartoon, whatever. Yeah. Um, and it was six seasons, wow. and they just sat there and watched, binged the entire massive amount of series zero. over the yeah. course of a week or two. And I was just like sitting there going, my God, I waited for Saturday morning cartoons and that was it. You got what? And then maybe, you know, you got something in syndication like He-Man, you know, mm-hmm. or Thundercats or something like that, Transformers. And that was it. Yeah. Um, so there's a generation being raised on short chunks of of entertainment that is serialized as opposed to watching full features. Yeah, it's interesting to see. I'm I'm curious to see where it all goes. I, I don't think features will die. Uh, I think there'll always be a place for them somewhere. But oh I, yeah, I, I, I don't agree. I mean, yeah. I think you know the great. The, what makes them different, you know, I think is, you know, a good feature film has a conclusive ending where you're mm-hmm. able to have this emotional journey and feel some sort of catharsis at the end, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. Judy. <laughs> 
The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. And now back to the show. Uh, whereas the problem with serialized television the reason why people are binging is because they want to get to that conclusion. <laughs> but right. there is never a conclusion because that, it's television. You have to keep people on a hook to get to the next season, right? And right. while that's while that is interesting and makes you want to watch, it's not it's not really the better emotional experience. I might I, I might argue that the the the, uh, the way the feature film is constructed is the more um, emotionally cathartic and if it's better right. experience. Yeah, if it's done right, absolutely. I, yeah. I, I would agree. But like, even now when we start a new show, my wife and I, she's like, "How many seasons is it?" Yeah, well, yeah, you because you have to commit to it. Right, it's like it's like you get it's like you're dating and getting yeah. married. It's like, oh god, she's like, it's "How many least- seasons? How long are the episodes? Oh, how many? How many? No, that's the biggest. Like, I I showed her like uh, I I binged the Alias. That old oh, show yeah. with Jennifer Garner. Oh, yeah, it's a good was, show. I watched that. But that was an old network show. So it was 24 episodes a Oof. season. And there was yeah. like six seasons, seven seasons. <laughs> and she was like, I can't do that again. So now now there are more seasons are more like 10, 12 episodes. But she'll ask before she yeah. ever jumps in. And I was like, it's so funny how we look at things. But <laughs> it, 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 Yeah, it is. It is. <laughs> All right. So we, we went off a little bit of a tangent. But sure. I wanted to get back to where we were going about micro-budget filmmaking. What is the biggest thing that stops filmmakers from moving forward in their career besides not having money um, and connections and things like that? But just that mindset, what is that thing? Boy, you know, I, I, I think I, what I've seen is you know, I, I've seen people who have an idea that write the script but are not realistic about the budget. Um, you know, <laughs> and I think you kind of have to write scripts now if you want to make them to make them, you have to put limitations on yourself. Like what we did with, with detour. Okay. Minimal characters, minimal locations. What costs, what costs the money? Because I think taking the leap from the page to production, I mean, that's always, that's the giant hurdle because, mm-hmm. you know, so many people that I know are inhibited by, okay, well, I haven't found the money yet. We're, we're looking for money. Mm-hmm. And it almost becomes an excuse not to do it. Like, ah, we're still oh, looking for money. It's, you know? Isn't it great? No, seriously, I find so many, and I did it, you hide behind, yes. oh, I don't have that camera. Oh, I can't yes. get that actor. Or exactly. I can't get the money. And you hide because it does take tremendous amount of cojones mm-hmm. to do what you did with your movies, to do what I do with my movies. Mm-hmm. You know, it, you put yourself out there. And that's yep. scary. It is scary, um, you know. But if you if you write it in such a way, we all can make a movie. It it just takes sacrifice of time. Yeah, you might have to take a part time job, or you know, uh, your crowdfund or save some uh, yeah, money. Yeah, your hu- husband and wife hopefully will will you know be able to take <laughs> care of you for a few unemployed months. But you gotta you don't gotta mortgage, go all in. Don't mortgage um, your house, though. Please, Stop, no, no, please, no, no, no. Please, I've had I've, yeah. I've spoken to filmmakers like don't 
do it. <laughs> yeah, although Scorsese's parents did it, did it for him for Mean Streets. <laughs> and also that was the 1970s. Yeah, yeah. A little bit different world we it's live in. It's a bit in. different. Yeah, yeah, it's a bit different in the world we, we live in right now. Um, and I mean, and they knew he was going to be a huge star. But anyway. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I would agree with you. I think, I think hiding behind yeah. those excuses are what stop filmmakers – and I'm sure you and I both included in that conversation. It stopped us for a while. Oh yeah, absolutely. You yeah. know, and I think you know the, the you they will find filmmakers will find other like-minded people who will get on board that train. But it's really up to you to uh, pull that train out of the station. You know, mm-hmm. um, and money is yeah, of course it, it takes money and infrastructure to make a movie, but it doesn't have to take a lot. I mean, it you know, if you have the time and the passion and the people around you. You know who will all benefit from a movie being made and get you know getting put out there. You can do it, right? Mm-hmm. Just just do it. Stop putting limitations. You know, put limitations on yourself and just do it. Just make it. Now, what advice would you give a filmmaker thinking about making a micro-budget feature film? Well, I think well the the um, the commercial part of my brain would say, well, you want to have something that is. Um, uh, marketable and saleable. Um, so an idea that can be made for not much money, but you can already see the trailer for and the Mm -hmm. poster for, because you're going to have to sell this thing afterwards. Um, the artist part of my brain is saying, you know, screw all that, you know, make what you want to make, um, say something. Cause I think, I think there's a lot to that. I mean, if you're going to be putting so much time and effort into a micro budget film, because this is, you know, once, as you know, you know, Alex, I mean, you, when you make a movie, Mm -hmm. you, this is like birthing a child. You're going to (laughs) be raising this child for the rest of your life and see it in the world. And you're going to keep trying to put it out there. So it's a huge commitment. So while you want to be aware of the commercial end of it, how will you sell this? If if you're not saying something and it's not personally meaningful to you, then mm-hmm. don't do it. Don't bother doing it because oh, no, so much you, time and effort is involved. Yeah, if you're chasing it for the money, forget it. No, exactly. Forget That's it. Just, you, don't don't go into you, the film business to get rich, guys. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah. I mean, if the money comes, great. But really, it's about it's about saying something and, and you know, connecting people emotionally to to your point of view, um, which I think is a really beautiful experience. Uh, so that that would be my first uh, sort of word of caution to people who want to make a make a micro, micro budget movie. But like I said before, you have to set limitations on yourself. I mean, at least uh, you know one to three main characters. Um, if you supporting characters here and there, but don't go over you know four or five. Mm-hmm. One one location for sixty five percent of your movie, just the same location at least sixty five percent, and then I wouldn't go two or three additional more than two or three additional locations mm-hmm. um and if you can do it you know non-union great um but you know sag will will work with you on an ultra low budget agreement mm-hmm. uh is 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 they're reasonable so you know th- th- those would be the the initial guidelines that you would have to stick to while writing the script i think the 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 analogy of giving birth which has been said many times like it giving making a movie is like giving birth to a baby but the thing that the filmmakers don't understand is yes making a movie is like giving birth but after the after the birth you need to raise the child 
Yes. You need to, you can't just throw the child out into the wilderness and hope for the best, which is what every filmmaker does. Yeah. I mean, you've got to raise it. You've got to market it. You've got to take care of it and nurture it through the next year of, of getting it out into the world. Would you agree? I agree completely. And uh, yeah, and I, I suggest filmmakers really, you know, think about that and, and do the research on how, what that entails post making the film, because it entails a lot. It's a whole different journey. And if they don't, they'll be reminded by the fact that they have to pay taxes on their LLC in perpetuity. Oh, no, no, stop. <laughs> oh God. My first my LLC I just did on my first That will remind you. Yeah. Ever, especially in California. Oh, <laughs> I mean, if you live out somewhere that's not California, it might be a little bit easier. Yeah, but no, it's tough. It's California is tough. Eight hundred dollars um, a year. Yeah, eight hundred dollars a year. Eight hundred dollars like, you know, a year and nonstop. Likely, <laughs> and likely you won't be making money on the movie for a while. So you're like, why am I paying these taxes? But you gotta, you gotta keep it open. That's your, you know, business. That's oh, where the money's gonna be coming in. That's so ridiculous. You know, so but- <laughs> <laughs> it's so ridiculous. It's so ridiculous. Um, now, because uh, a lot of times um, filmmakers will try to go into a micro budget film, thinking like a traditional filmmaker, thinking like what they taught them in film school. Thinking yeah. like I have twenty million dollars. What does a what has to change in the mindset when you're making that micro budget feature? Well, you know, I think the way you do it, the way you direct a film, has to be extremely efficient. I, I think a lot of money, you know, I mean, filmmakers complain that they never have enough money if it's even if it's a micro budget. From micro budget to mega budget, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but the way you shoot it has to be extremely efficient, and you have to be disciplined in your directing approach. Um, and what I mean by that is, you know, don't cover everything because coverage takes time, right? I mean, right. yes, we don't burn film anymore, so someone's like, oh, I shoot digital, you save a lot of money. Well, so. you can shoot one shot or do twelve takes, mm-hmm. but all of a sudden you're spending all your you know, up until lunch, six hours of your day on one shot, and then you've wasted a ton of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what you have to do is really go through the script and uh, beat it out, right? What what are the essential beats that I need to film here, and how can I film it uh, specifically so I'm not shooting the same thing over and over and over again? And it's okay not to cover the whole scene, like scene from beginning to end. To end, you can just get a little close up here for a couple of lines or this little moment. Uh, with their hands touching on a table. Maybe you don't want to cover their face. It's all about their the subtextual behavior that's going on. Just film that. You really have to pre-edit ahead of time. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And now, back to the show. Because that's what's going to save you money. And, and also, it'll, it'll force you to think about what's important what do I have to shoot? Absolutely. Because every day I will be forced to cut shots. That's without set, you know, you, you will be doing that because you're going to be running out of time. So mm-hmm. if I only had the time to shoot it this way, how would I shoot it? And if you force yourself 
put yourself into that position ahead of time, that will save you a lot of money ultimately on this, this micro-budget film. Now, in your opinion, what are two of the main ingredients of filmmaking? Uh, well, I mean, I think uh, they're subtext and, and point of view. I mean, those are the two things a director really needs to, to understand and, and execute um, during production. And just briefly what they are, mm-hmm. um, you know, subtext, the idea of the word subtext, right? It's underneath the text. So say there's dialogue where someone is saying something, right? Typically in a dramatic scene, the behavior will undermine what they're saying because, you know, uh, in real life, we don't really, we don't really say everything that we mean, right? <laughs> when you say, hey, hey, Alex, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Really? Well, I sp- you spilled coffee on yourself this morning. So, you know, they're not telling you that story. So you're, de- right. you're, you're okay, but you're dealing with like a, you know, minor mm-hmm. burn on your leg. So there's these things that we don't talk about in life that we filter all the time, um, right? But that's, so what we're saying and what we let people see is the text, right? Mm-hmm. But the subtext is re- what's really going on. What's really going on, uh, underneath the surface, right? So, for instance, if you know, there's a great scene in Mulholland Drive, right, where um, you know Naomi Watts is auditioning for for a role, and we see this scene done <laughs> twice, right? right One, right. it's it's her practicing with with her friend played by Laura Herring, and then the actual audition. She plays it two different ways. It's kind of a masterclass in subtext. The whole scene is this really cheesy scene about you know, her having an affair with her father's best friend. And because of this, the situation, she says that he, that she hates him. Right. Mm-hmm. So the first, the first way the text is all about, I hate you. I hate you. I hate you. But she's, she's playing the hate. So there's no, there's no subtext. It's mm-hmm. all on the surface, which makes it very boring to watch. It's very on the nose. Mm-hmm. But in the next scene, she plays it, you know, she's still saying the same dialogue. I hate you. I hate you. I hate you. But underneath she plays it as though she loves this man and the behavior mm-hmm is that she loves him. And that is interesting to watch. That's conflict, you know, mm-hmm. drama's conflict. So we're watching the text conflict with the subtext. Mm-hmm. Um, and to make, to make a long story short, that's what equals a good scene. So ideally, when you're writing the script and then directing it, you want to achieve that, um, you know, that conflict between the text and the subtext. And look, if the, if the dialogue saying the same thing as the behavior, maybe you don't need the dialogue. You know, it might be more interesting to watch a scene without dialogue mm-hmm. um, and just let the behavior play out, right? So having so having a firm understanding of subtext is is the first ingredient. The second ingredient is point of view. Is how, how do you whose whose eyes are we viewing the scene through? Who whose scene is it? Um, so we have to make that uh, determination. Like we, you talked about Taxi Driver before, that is probably one of the best examples of first person mm-hmm. point of view in <laughs> filmmaking. Absolutely. Right. You know, Travis Bickle. This is all filtered. The stories filtered through the way he sees the world, right? Which is a world where he's dealing with, at, at the time, undiagnosed post-traumatic stress disorder from Vietnam. Um, and the way he sees the world is very, very different from the way, quote unquote, normal or unaffected people um, view the world. And we see that through subjective, the subjective filmmaking of Martin Scorsese. Um, you know, there's this great moment uh in the movie where there's a scene because Travis is in every scene. That's how he, that's how we know. Even when other characters are talking, he's present in the scene mm-hmm. um, to, to couch it in his point of view. However, the one scene that isn't, he isn't there is the scene with Harvey Keitel and, and uh, Jodie Foster, where Jodie Foster wants to not, you know, get out of prostitution and wants his blessing. And they're, they're slow dancing in his uh, Harvey Keitel's apartment. And he's sort of coercing her back into the business. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 
that wasn't originally in the script. What happened was uh, Keitel went to Scorsese. He's like, I have a really great idea for a scene. Um, can we do it? And Scorsese was like, well, that's out of, outside Travis's point of view, so we can't do it. But so Keitel was like, I really want to do it. They're like, oh, I like the scene, so let's just shoot it. So they shot it, and uh, what happened was Scorsese really liked it. He's like, this is a really great scene, but how do I make it work within Travis's point of view? So they what they did was they reshot a, a moment with De Niro in the taxi pulling up outside of Keitel's apartment and looking up at the window. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then basically he, in the movie, he framed it that way. So he shot that moment, then cut from De Niro's look inside the apartment. Mm-hmm. And then after that scene's over, he comes back out to De Niro looking down from the window and driving away. Mm-hmm. So we can kind of, we, we might assume that, Hey, that maybe that scene is what De Niro was thinking. What Travis, Travis Bickle's idea of what was happening in that apartment, it, it leaves the question open mm-hmm. as to whether mm-hmm. or not it is his point of view. So it works in the rest of the film. So, you know, you want to have that. You have to make a decision. Whose scene is it and how subjective is your filmmaking going to be? But either way, you have to weigh the scene towards someone's point of view. So those those are really the two the two big ingredients. Great answer. Great, great answer. Uh, I've never heard it specifically put that way. So I really uh, that was a really good way of uh, laying it all out. Um, Now. Um, can you discuss something called style versus substance? Because uh, there's a rarity of both. <laughs> yeah, uh, I would I would argue Fincher's work, Nolan's mm-hmm. work, Kubrick's work, and many of the of the great masters are able to do it. But can you discuss the the the, the differences and 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 the whole topic? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think. Um I think young filmmakers, there's, they, they get themselves caught in a, in a trap of trying to, uh, embrace a style before they've actually, before they've actually formed their own personal voice as a filmmaker, mm-hmm. right? They say like, oh, I like Tarantino's movies or I like Scorsese's movies. So I'm going to go for that style. And I think that's a terrible mindset. It's, it's detrimental. It ultimately be detrimental to the film. What you want to do is when you write a script or read a script and plan to direct it, you have to find out and figure out what are the best directing choices for this film. And that might not necessarily be a style that you like, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you know, the great filmmakers, like, like you mentioned, who have um, noticeable, recognizable styles, they have mastered, they, they have mastered uh, taking their uh, voice, their personal voice, and mastered transforming that to to the screen. And what I mean by that is like, you look at Scorsese, any interview with Martin Scorsese, the way, the way he looks, the way he talks, the way he behaves, just if you watch him and listen to him, then you watch one of his movies. It's the same feeling. It's like, that's Martin Scorsese. Like that's his personality. Mm -hmm. Same with Kubrick, right? Reclusive, cold. Those are his movies. Same Mm -hmm. with David, David Lynch, sort of like on the outside with sort of happy boy scout, but there's something real dark and disturbing going on underneath the surface. <laughs> Talk about subtext. Movies. He is, yeah. subtext. he's the definition of subtext. Yeah. So, but, but you know, a good, to become a master filmmaker, you have to first delve into what is your, what is your artistic voice? What is your personal voice uh, inside of you? And how do you translate that to the screen? Um, and I think, you know, style over substance is a good way to, to, s- sort of delve into that, into that arena. Um, and the way I, I, the way I delve into it is, okay, I think about theme instead of style. I, I read something, I think, what's, what's the, what's the theme here? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the great artists really 
they they focus on theme first um, and everything else uh, second, right? Okay. Now, there, Francis Ford Coppola has this great quote, which I I, I uh, recite a lot. Where mm-hmm. you know, some aspiring filmmaker went up to him and asked him, like, well, if you had to give a, a filmmaker uh, an aspiring filmmaker one piece of advice, what would it be? And he goes, find your theme. And answer every question you can with it. He's like, well, that's interesting. Well, can you explain? He's like, okay, well, as a, as a director on set, you're going to get 500 questions a day, okay? And you may or may not know how to answer them all. But if you know your theme, you can answer any single question. And he gave his, uh, he gave his main example um, uh, as The Conversation, which mm-hmm. was the movie he did between Godfathers 1 and 2, which is a wonderful movie. It's amazing. Uh, Gene Hackman. Yeah. yeah, Gene Hackman plays a... A professional eavesdropper. He plants mm-hmm. bugs on people and he tapes them and then he gives the tapes to, to clients. And what happens is that he, you know, he's very objective at first, just does his job. And then there's this one thing that he records that affects him emotionally. Then And his flaw is, his fatal flaw is that he gets personally involved in the case, mm-hmm. which he's never done before. Um, so for for Coppola, the theme was uh, privacy, but furthermore, invasion of privacy, right? So he's the invader of privacy, and in the end, he gets his privacy invaded upon himself. So, okay, so then his costume designer, with that in mind, his costume designer comes up to him. He's answering this question, that question, this question. Uh, costume designer comes up and had a, probably her most important question, which was, what's going to be the hero coat, right? We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And now back to the show. So we have a regular tan sort of Burberry trench coat. We have a black ha- a camel hair coat. And then we have a see-through transparent rubber coat. And he goes, oh, see-through rubber coat. Uh, invasion of privacy. Moving on. It, it all come. It all stemmed from the theme because mm-hmm. it was this invasion of privacy. The see-through coat worked, and he would, for every answer, go back to the theme. Now, if you make your directing choices based on the same theme that you have figured out, ultimately a style will bubble up. Mm-hmm. Right? It'll just it'll just occur. Um, and I, I write and talk a lot about Paul Thomas Anderson, and who, who I find is a, he's an interesting case study because most of his movies look. Totally different stylistic. Very much so. You know, like uh, uh, Boogie Nights versus Punch Drunk Love versus The Master. If you didn't, if you weren't familiar with his work, you probably wouldn't be able to tell it's the same director. Mm-hmm. Um, however, his theme is very much the same, and I think his theme is finding order uh, amidst chaos. And if you if you focus on that, it's really stunning how how uh, strong that theme is in all of his movies. But what he's doing is he doesn't care about Okay, I, I have to maintain my style as Paul Thomas Anderson. I, no, I care about the theme because the theme is what's universally relatable to people. That's you know what get gets butts into the seats of at least indie movies because hey, we want to relate to this universal theme. This is something that you know can transcend uh, language or regional barriers, and everyone can understand it. And if the director could really harness that theme, then you will have a cohesive movie because you're making all the directorial 
choices based on this one thing. And then the sum result is the style. Very interesting. So yeah, like with, with what I said earlier, like having someone like Nolan who yeah. has, you know, I always, I use the dark Knight constantly as an mm-hmm. example because it's such a masterwork. There's so much style <laughs> in that movie. Oh yeah. I mean, it, it, it it's up there with heat as just oh, yeah. a good heist movie. You know, uh, regardless it works of for the story, you know, yeah. the world, that's the, you know, he needed those stylistic flourishes in the world he was creating. Right. But the I substance mean, underneath yeah. is so deep and yeah. so in depth and goes on for miles. <laughs> exactly. Right. Because that's that's what people connect to. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, look, you can make a, a, a great spectacle film like, you know, big, huge comic movie. And it could be a fun watch and, mm-hmm. you know, exciting. But. Sometimes those movies, when you walk out of the theater, you don't really remember it five minutes later. The movies that you remember are those movies that, while it might be a spectacle on the surface, underneath there's a real thematic thread, and it's actually a character movie. You you are relating to the characters. That's what you remember because you see yourself in it. Right? That's the only reason you remember these movies is because it connects to you on a personal level. Iron Man 1. Yeah. You know, perfect example. Was, that was a character piece, a yeah. character indie movie hidden inside of a comic book film. Exactly. <laughs> you know, and I think good, good filmmakers can – the best filmmakers can do that and get away with that. You know, mm-hmm. I think, you know, Brian – early to mid Brian De Palma is a really good oh, example. Yes. Something like that. You know, like Carrie – like, yeah, it's it's a horror movie, but really underneath the surface, it's, it's a coming-of-age story about a, a girl living in a repressed home. Who just happens to have powers. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But that's what's so great because if you have a genre movie that is a metaphor, like people, it can reach, it has the potential to reach a much wider audience. But underneath, as the director, you are really focusing on this character movie. So you're you're kind of sneaking in this emotion, this emotional connection uh, inside of this bigger genre. And I think that's very smart to do. And that's, you know, one way that you can work with Hollywood and kind of have your cake and eat it too, if you're smart. <laughs> now, do you have any advice for working with actors? I know that's a big thing that filmmakers have a problem with because yep. they, they're never really taught that in film school, if they even go to film school, but they're never taught those things. And it is a nuance to work with actors, especially on a micro budget, which is a completely different mentality than working yeah. on a big budget. Yeah. I mean, it, that's, that's, you know, always nebulous terrain and, and probably the whether filmmakers will admit it or not, the, the biggest thing filmmakers are afraid of is talking to actors because, you know, unlike a lens you put on a the camera, they can talk back to you. <laughs> <laughs> and give you attitude. Yeah. And tell you and have, to call their agent. <laughs> yeah. And they have they have, quote unquote, opinions. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah. I, but at the same time, right, actors like can and should be the most fruitful relationships you have on a, mm-hmm. on a production because they're they're the physical manifestations of of emotion in your film and you need to be very careful and do your do your homework before you you talk to actors um so you know i, I but like you said on a micro budget there there are a lot more limitations because you don't have a lot of money. So you might not be able to afford rehearsal time, which I really think is essential is to have some rehearsal time. Uh, but it, you know, the, the long and short of it is that 95% of the time is you won't have that luxury because you can only afford to get them on the day. So, you know, I've had times where I've met actors for the first time on set oh, like, yeah. and you're about to shoot and mm-hmm. imagine that like mm-hmm. all this oh, money and time. <laughs> oh, I've done that. I've done that. Oh yeah. 
my first two features were exactly that. Every yeah. almost every new every actor in a new scene, I'm like, I've never met you before. Let's make a movie. Um, you know, it's but crazy. I, think about it. You know who they are, and you you've seen their work and stuff. Yeah. But, yeah. And you're more like you're more than confident that they'll do the job right, but you don't know how they're going to show up on that day. You know, yeah. and and there is something about working on a micro budget where a lot of actors and people in general, they, it, it's hard for them to wrap around their mind that it yeah. can be done. And then if you get the wrong actor who has the mentality of working on that TV show that they've been working on for the last five years, yeah. and they're doing this little indie movie to kind of stretch themselves. And they're like, oh, my trailer's not big. I'm like, trailer? Uh, dude. <laughs> dude, there's no trailer here, brother. I hate to tell you that. There's a car, which is my car. Excuse the child seats in the back. That's how we're rolling. And that is, that's one of the biggest and most crucial places I think that you need to, yeah. to, to go to when you're casting because – just because there might be a big name, if they don't, if they're not on board with what you're yeah. doing, or That's just very good point, or thinking differently point. of what you're doing, it's a nightmare, and it's done. And I'm sure you've yeah. had it with as well as I have had nightmare actors on set who just want to act up or want yeah. attention or are not on on board with what they're what you're doing. Yeah, yeah, you're a hundred percent right, and I've I've learned my lesson about that uh, too. Uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, I think uh, because at first. You just assume when you start doing, you assume that just, oh, they, they read the script and they get it and they know the deal. But yeah, I mean, they get to set and sometimes what they're used to is not there and that can be a big problem. So now what I do is, you know, if I have an actor of, of note interested, I'm like, hey, I would tell that person straight up, look, this is a micro budget movie. This is no frills. Are you, have you, have you done a movie like this before? And are you okay with that? Mm-hmm. You know, just to make sure. So they, they know what they're signing up for. I, I think that's very important to, to get that out in the open uh, at the start. Absolutely. And sometimes they'll say, sure, sure. And then they still act up. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, it's just, uh, <laughs> what do yeah, you mean there's no sushi? Like what do you mean there's no sushi? I cannot work without my dragon rolls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Those you know, conversations have had, have, have, have had on set before. Yeah, no, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, but, but, you know, I say I'm lucky for, for the most part, you know, the people who, who I've, I've worked with who are used to that kind of lifestyle. I mean, they've, They've been nothing but kind and understanding nice. on the set. I mean, I'm not to say that they, they wouldn't have their moments here and there, but they were very far, you know, few and far between. Right. Uh, but it's just about being as honest and open as possible. Um, and I think for, you know, a movie like, like micro budget, expect, ask for rehearsal, but expect no rehearsal. Um, so that means you have to be even more prepared in pre-production. Mm-hmm. So what I do is, um, you know, I write pretty, you know, pretty detailed character bios, just the facts, no emotional, you know, input at all, you know, where they, where they grew up, um, you know, love life, any mm-hmm. sort of, you know, cultural or ethnic background, religious background, et cetera. So they have the bones of the character and then, mm-hmm. then they do their own homework. You don't want to do all of it for them because they have to find the character too. And they kind of put the flesh onto the bones. Um, and then I have my director's lookbook, which, you know, mm-hmm. I sort of, I have a, a master document of the lookbook and then I, I make little alter, alterations where I have you know, one for the producers, one for the investors, one for the actors, um, you know, so they're kind of more focused to, to their, what, to their tastes and what they're looking for. Um, so they know exactly, okay, this is the character arc as I see it. These are my directorial choices on a macro level. So, you know, 
part part of the point is so when you get to set, there are the least amount of questions as possible. Because if, if people read your material and get your vision beforehand, they won't every minute say, "Okay, well, why are you doing this? Why are you doing that?" Like you want to avoid that. Not that you don't want to answer those questions. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. But you want to have those an- questions answered before you get to set. Because as you know, uh, time is money on set. <laughs> the clock is ticking. So the less, the less talk, <laughs> the better. It's, it's, it's uh, interesting. That, so you, most of your micro-budgets or all your micro-budget films are done with a script. You, you've scripted everything out, correct? Yes, yes. See that? And, and then my process has been, for my last two features, to be improv. Based, wow. based off of a scriptment. Cool. Um, and if you've ever, if you ever, because I've done the script thing, and I'm, I'm and I will do the script thing again, depending on the project. It's like every every project is, you know, different different process. Oh, absolutely. It, it depends on what the story you're trying to tell and and the limitations and things. But if you ever want to try to <laughs> go down that road, I, I tell you something. It is the scariest, oh, but man. the most exhilarating. Yeah, I bet. Process as a director, as an artist, as a filmmaker, you could ever achieve. You've got to be at a certain place in your life to be able to go and do that because yeah. you are literally on a tightrope with no one to catch you. Wow. And it's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> it is so cool. I just, I love that process, developing the characters with the actors on yeah. the day, but we've talked about it a whole bunch. It's not sure. like we're just, oh, I'm not, I don't make it sound like we just show up and here's a camera. Let's make something <laughs> up. No, it, it, there is a style, there's a structure to it all, but it is a fascinating way of making a movie. Wow. It, it, yeah. That sounds incredible. It scares the crap out of me. <laughs> exactly. But everyone has their, everyone has their way yeah, of doing totally. it. I always tell yeah. people like, look, if you give Pollock, uh, uh, Van Gogh and Dolly a, a paintbrush and a canvas, you're going to get different styles. But at the end of the day, you're still going to get a painting. Yep. And yep. same thing goes with filmmaking. It's not just what a film school textbook teaches you. No, you're right. And and you know what? I mean, so much has to be said, uh, you know, about hiring the right collaborators. Because, Correct. You know, I mean, I think people kind of wrongly think of indie film as sort of like this. Oh well, everyone's an art auteur or whatever. And okay, you you are. This is his <laughs> complete his or her complete vision. I mean, yeah, there has to be an initial vision, but mm-hmm. it's it's a guideline I think for everybody else who you hire your yes. your DP and your production designer and you know you want to hire them make and make sure there's a singular vision being executed, but you have to let, kind of let them do their own thing. And I'm sure you've had those moments on set uh, doing improv where all of your collaborators sort of start to vibe with you and come up with oh. ideas on the spot that oh, are yes. they're amazing. Oh, absolutely. Are you kidding me? That last movie that I just did on the corner of Vigo and Desire, that's exactly what happened. I mean, we were literally running around Sundance shooting yeah. a movie about filmmakers trying to sell a movie, <laughs> um, awesome. which is great. And then on the day, we're like, hey, let's go shoot over there. Hey, why don't we do this over here? And, and we yeah. just would literally go as long as it stayed within the theme. Yeah. It stayed within the, you know, the... Um, what I needed to tell the story. So I had certain sure. scenes laid out. But once you get past that, once I caught what I needed, everything else was like, sure, let's try it. Sure, yeah. let's try it. Why not? It's like we're running around. Let's have a good time. It's not costing us a lot of money. You know, absolutely. You know, I wouldn't say, you know, if you give me half a million bucks, the improv way of doing things might be a little different. Um, because I have a responsibility to recoup, yeah. recoup that but, money. But I think there, there there's something there where, you know, when you're 
when you're on set and yeah, even though, you know, I, 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 st- I pretty much storyboard everything and I try to have everything sort of as, as rigidly laid out ahead of time as possible. So, but for me, what that allows me to do is that allows when opportunities to improvise come about, I'm ready for it. Right. And, mm-hmm. and a beautiful idea happens or a very happy accident occurs and you're like, Oh, I have to take advantage of that. And like you said, those moments, that's what you live for. Like, oh man, you've made this happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, you put all these steps together to get to this point for this beautiful accident to occur and to get it on film. Because that sort of, it's like catching lightning in a bottle. Yep. Um, you should already so capture lightning, right? Yeah. And those are really amazing moments. So I think, I think that is pretty similar. Uh, it's different, but a little similar to what you're talking about. Because you've you have set up guidelines and prepared yourself to make this thing happen, even though you're not clearly sure what that thing is. But once you're there, these beautiful it allows these beautiful things to occur, and you capture them on on film. And that's that's an amazing thing. Yeah, and and I think you know to go down the road of trying to do a film like that, like an improv based film. You've you've got. I mean, I've got 25 years behind me, so I've shot a lot. Yeah. So there's a lot of instincts. It's in, ingrained in you. Yeah, it's you know if I'm 20, it's going to be a little bit of a different film yeah. <laughs> <laughs> than yeah, it is absolutely. now. So there is that to be said about it, but. Um, I challenge you, sir. I challenge you to go make one. I know you're deathly afraid of doing this. I challenge oh, you. Well, take, right. take five grand and just go out, three grand, and go out yeah. and make a movie like this. I'm telling you. Yeah. <laughs> so, And you, you'll be like, wow, that you're was – You're me. I know, dude, if you want to talk more off air, I can tell you. <laughs> um, so awesome. I, let me ask you, how, um, how has the new world of distribution changed your whole filmmaking process, how you make movies, how you get the movie, your movies out into the world? That's a really good question because, you know, distribution, it, man, it's it's evolving every day. <laughs> oh, you know? Tell me about it. <laughs> yeah, there are more and more platforms. You know, I, I, there's probably a hundred, a hundred or 200 platforms I don't even know of that, you know, there's just thousands. There's yeah, thousands, I mean, yeah. I don't know. Um, but so, okay, I, I think, and I'm dealing with, with distribution right now with my new movie, No Alternative. Um, we have We have a deal on, I can't tell you who the distributor is i can't talk about it we do have a deal on the table and looks like it's going to be released in april of 2019 which is very exciting nice. um you know but you know for independent filmmakers it, uh, digital distribution is is where it's at doesn't mean theatrical doesn't occur we may or may not be doing a, a limited theatrical mm-hmm. it's still up up for debate um but even if you do a theatrical it's still all in service of the digital distribution yeah it's a marketing play yeah, exactly. Because what you're able to do is if you get it into a few theaters, you can get uh, – it becomes higher profile. You can get bigger reviews from bigger publications. Correct. And you're also able to uh, price it higher on demand for in-theater now prices, which mm-hmm. actually works for you know the bottom line. So like you said, yeah, it's all, it's all marketing. Of course, you know, as a filmmaker, you want to see it on the big screen. But, you know, I mean, I've – it's it, – you know, Noel Turner is playing in festivals and, you know, so I, I have, I have, and we'll be able to see it on the big screen. So I'm, that's less important to me than, than it is getting it out to, to, to as many people as possible. And even if they're watching in their homes, people's home systems have gotten so damn good. <laughs> insane, yeah. It's just like, I, it's almost, it rivals, like if you go to, you know, an art house, God bless art house movie theaters, but yeah, man, the, the theater experience might be better at home. Oh, there's no, there's no doubt about it. There's absolutely no <laughs> doubt about it. When you've got an 85 inch, yeah. 4K monitor mounted yeah. on the wall with a six surround sound system, yeah. I mean, dude, do you need much? I, more? I go out anywhere else. Yeah. Yeah, you got a nice uh, recliner. You got some popcorn. You're, you're, you know, dark room. I think you're 
you're, you're good. You know, for the most part, unless you're going to IMAX and then that's a whole other world. But you're yeah. not seeing indie art houses in IMAX films. Well, yeah. I mean, they're character <laughs> movies. They're not big spectacle films. Right. Exactly. So what's the point? Um, I, I think filmmakers also don't – would you agree that they, they get caught up with this whole dream, especially our generation, about the, the, the theatrical release? Yeah. I think, you know, like I said, it's nice to see it on the screen, but you should, should not let that be uh, – you know, a major factor in your distribution because it could really actually waste a lot of money um, mm -hmm. and resources and marketing where you could could have spent that or money or time elsewhere in a in a, in a more efficient place. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's becoming less and less important of a goal. I mean, it's nice to have a premiere where you have to where you can you know have your cast and crew there. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so so that's a good thing. Festivals are good because that you know. Uh, builds momentum and buzz for the movie. Uh, but I think, you know, it's not a major factor anymore and people should, should not consider it. So it's just, I mean, you're talking about real estate, very valuable real estate in, yeah. in the, in the theatrical world where, you know, you are competing with Avengers. You are competing with these big giant tentpole movies for, you know, asses in seats. Yep. And the theater is going to go, well, if I put your screen movie in, will I make more money with your movie? For that one showing, or if I just put Avengers back in there, will I make more money? Yeah, exactly. You know, so it, it is a tough task, um, and we might not even do it with, with our film. We're it's it's up for debate. Um, you know, because it'll it'll take some uh, investment. Mm -hmm. uh, but as far as distribution as a whole, I, I think the biggest thing to keep in mind is on an indie level. Even if you sign with like a fantastic distributor indie distributor you know i mean they'll be doing their their own marketing and 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 advertising and outreach but by far the most important outreach and advertising that you can do for the film is you doing it for the film through social media like mm -hmm. it's it's all about building your social media contacts uh, building that network um personally interacting with people online and being your own promoter so um, you know, like, like you said earlier about giving birth to a child. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Like they're raising it, like the birth part, after, you, you, you thought making the movie was hard, but mm. now the hard, it's actually hard in many ways, harder to raise the kid in the world. Like, oh, to well, make yeah, sure because it's not it's the, the fun right part. Place. It's not the fun yeah. part. You know, that's yeah. the thing that filmmakers don't get. Like making a baby, really fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah. <laughs> on all aspects making yeah. a baby super fun <clears throat> but raising the baby eh, a little harder <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah From someone who has kids very little harder <laughs> yeah and you can't just wing it man you gotta have you gotta yeah. have a plan or the strategy uh you know so i think filmmakers really have to keep that in mind before they even begin production on the film you need to you need to build your social media audience and network. Uh, make sure there's brand, I hate to say brand awareness already out there. Mm -hmm. um, so you know when the movie movie finds a place in the world, and people can actually click on so something tough. online and buy it, Ugh. right? That they've already heard about it. Um, it's tough, and, man. It's, tough. Yeah. it's so tough to get that brand awareness for an indie film. It's very hard, but it, it just comes down to grassroots. The good thing, like the positive thing is that like grassroots – promotion it, it's become so much easier with the internet right mm -hmm. i mean but you have to be you have to be relentless that's the thing. right that's the thing it's I'm become out. easier but it's not just easier for you it's easier for everyone yes <laughs> so, so it's hard it's easier to get lost yes. in you know 
Without, that's, the, that's the trouble. Now, can you tell me a little bit about your book, Detour Hollywood? Yeah, sure. Um, so, you know, we, we touched on a little bit the, the making of Detour. And as you can imagine, I, I had a lot of stories <laughs> to tell. <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> and sure. I, gained, I gained a lot of insight, made a lot of mistakes, did a few things right, I think. Uh, but, you know, had a lot to talk about. So I decided to and I took notes all throughout that process. And um, during a rough cut of the movie, one of my professors old film professors, you know, watched the film and he gave me notes. I started telling these stories. He goes, have you been writing this down? I was like, yeah, I have. It's like, you've got to write a book about this. So I was like, yeah, that's, that was, that was the start of it. Um, and at, at around the same time, the detour came out, I started to teach, uh, filmmaking too. And I, you know, I always, I always liked being taught and I liked academia. And I thought, you know, I, I've learned a lot. Maybe I can teach. So the, the platform of teaching made me learn a lot about how to communicate this stuff to, to people mm -hmm. and to, to new filmmakers. And I started writing this book. So basically, it's uh, it's called Detour, Detour Hollywood, How to Direct a Micro-Budget Film. Um, and it outlines, you know, the making of Detour, what I learned throughout that process, and kind of dispels, you know, bits and pieces of practical wisdom. Like, hey, this is what I did at Detour, and this is how you can learn from it or how you can do it either the same way or differently. Um, I also break down my approach to directing, which we talked a little about a little bit about earlier, like mm -hmm. the, the ingredients to, to directing subtext and point of view, the importance of theme. Um, so it, it's, it's a handbook that can be dog eared and, uh, underlined, uh, and something that I keep on set. And I think other filmmakers can keep on set if they need to, there's a handy list of, uh, action verbs or quick, quick directions for actors in it. So, you know, I always wanted to write a book that is like the, the you know, what's shrunk in white is to, to English li literature. I wanted some sort of small book that it that can give you quick tips on how to make a movie or the right way to make a movie uh, quickly and easily. Very cool, man. Very cool. So I'm going to ask you a couple of rapid fire questions I ask all of my guests. Totally. Uh, what advice would you give a filmmaker wanting to break into the business today? Uh, be okay with not making much money and living on a burrito a day. <laughs> Give or take. That's very, very dire, sir. It's very, very well, dire. But know, it's very true in many ways. Burritos are filling. They, well, if you get the good organic stuff, you know, like uh, Baja Fresh style. I'm not talking Taco Bell. Baja well, Fresh style, yes. Yeah. But but and, and don't quit and don't quit your your day job. You know, if I mean, you can have if you have a day job to keep it. Yeah, the thing is, it's easy to get bitter about it. Like I don't like this, but you know, it's a means to an end. And I think you know, it, yeah, it, it'll take some investment on your end at the at the beginning of this process. But but you don't have to be a filmmaker. You're you're putting material out into the world that you love, that hopefully other people will love, that will exist after you spring off this mortal coil. And that, that's kind of amazing. And you got to sit back and really think about, you know, how, how wonderful that is. Yeah. I mean, look at, I mean, Dennis Hopper who passed a few years ago, he made easy rider yep. and, and among a million other things he made, but you know, he, that will live on for, for many, many, many years to come until the world ends, uh, yeah. <laughs> which is looking closer and closer every day. Inevitability, which is coming closer and closer every day. Um, can Can you tell me what book uh, had the biggest impact on your life or career? Wow, man, that's a good question. Uh, boy, life or career? Well, I mean, you know, uh, recently, I mean, I love, I love uh, Blake Snyder's Save the Cat. I know it's a very popular book, <laughs> but I reread that before. Every time before I write a screenplay, every time, because mm -hmm. um, again, very practical, 
and sort of, you know, I say the cat's kind of a good model for what I did with, with detour. In fact, the, the, um, I, the editor of, of my book was worked on, worked on save the cat. Cause I felt like it's a very practical thing. I could go back to it. So from, a just from a, a technical side of things, mm-hmm. I would say that that book, I go back to it all the time. Uh, boy, just creatively speaking. I mean, geez, uh, I, you know, again, an easy answer might be Ernest Hemingway, but what I, what I like about Ernest Hemingway's books, particularly the sun also rises is that he utilizes subtext in a very cinematic way. Mm-hmm. Um, like it's his iceberg theory, right? Where you only, he strived in a very efficient manner to only say what he needed to say. The dialogue really has nothing to do with people's behavior and not, you only see the tip of the iceberg, but everything else, the real crux of the story is happening underneath the surface. It is so imbued with subtext that I would recommend any filmmaker to read that book. It's just as, as a, as a lesson and how, how to write subtext, uh, and actually how to visualize it as you're reading it. So, I mean, those two books are, are up there. Now, what is the lesson that took you the longest to learn, whether in the film industry or in life? Well, I think it comes down to, I think, editing. Because I, I think the hardest part, um, the, hard, the, the thing I, I, I took the longest to learn about filmmaking was that the, sh- the shorter, the better. Um, and editing yourself like you know i look at my early short films i would edit the heck out of them now right because mm. you know when you're oh. <laughs> a, yeah when you're a new filmmaker it's harder for you to be critical about yourself and be objective right. about your work and yeah. say oh man like yeah, i, I spent five hours on that shot i yeah, can't cut it yeah. yeah but now i've come and i really like this place that i'm in now because i the more i cut the more i feel good about it. Like I feel better. I cut something out. It makes me more relieved. Whereas before I was like, Oh God, I can't cut that. And I think so many filmmakers experience that. But once you've been through it a lot and you've made a lot of material and you go back and you, you're at a point where I can't do anything about that short film again or that feature film again, but I would do something, you know, that's a bad feeling. You know what I mean? And it always comes down to, I should have cut it more. I should have trimmed it more. Um, and so I am just, brutal now to the point where just take it out take the seat take it out take it out take oh take yeah it. yeah I, I, but um, that takes time that takes time it does that's really it like uh, that takes time you cannot teach that right away even if you objectively understand that yeah emotionally you can't do it no yeah i mean i i, I like you know my first feature I'm like i cut full scenes out like that's not oh, yeah. working gone yeah. i spent half a day shooting that done work <laughs> gone gone it just didn't work for the movie and that's I was like, wow, I can't believe I did that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, no. It's a good, it's a good feeling. But, you know, ultimately the, um, the edit of the film is the final rewrite of the script, right? Yes, and of course. Even though you spent a lot of money on something or you spent a lot of time, it should not matter at all. Because like you said, if it doesn't work for the story, it should not be there. Absolutely. Now, three of your favorite films of all time. Lost Highway by David Lynch. Mm-hmm. Uh, mean Streets mm-hmm. by Martin Scorsese. Um, and just throw in a relatively recent one, uh, diving bell and the butterfly by Julian Schnabel. Very nice. Very nice. Good, good choices. Good choices. And where can people find you online? Well, uh, people can find me, uh, on my website, which is William Dickerson filmmaker.com. Uh, I could also be followed on Twitter and Instagram at WD filmmaker. Mm-hmm. 
um, my new movie, No Alternative, which uh, premiered at Dances with Films in Hollywood a few months ago, and it, it'll have its New York premiere at YoFi Fest, which is the Yonkers Film Festival in nice. New York yes. in, in November. Uh, you could find out more about that movie uh, by following it at No Alt Film, uh, and just look out for for No Alternative, which is also based on the, uh, a novel I wrote a, a few years ago, which is also available. Um, on Amazon. I will put all of those links in the show notes. Uh, so William, thank you, man, so much. You did, sir, drop a few knowledge bombs on the tribe. So thank you very so. much. Thank you so much for Good taking out the time. We could I, talk for another hour, I'm sure. I know. I, I had a blast, Alex. Thanks for having me on. Thank you, William, for coming on and dropping some knowledge bombs on the tribe. I truly, truly appreciate it. And guys, like, like I always say, there is no excuse for you not to go out and make your movie right now. If you've got challenges, go over them, figure it out. Just got to keep hustling, got to keep going. And William is a perfect, perfect example of that. If you want links to William's book or anything we discussed in the episode, just head over to the show notes at IndieFilmHustle.com forward slash 276. And guys, thank you so much for spreading the word on IFH and IFH TV and everything I'm doing here at Indie Film Hustle. Please Please, if you can teach somebody else something you've learned while listening to a podcast or watching a a documentary or taking a course, do so. Pay it forward and get as much of this information out into the filmmaking community as humanly possible. Take credit for it. I don't care. Just get it out there. I want filmmakers to be as educated and, and have their eyes wide open as much as humanly possible. So thank you guys. You are my foot soldiers out there getting the word out on Indie Film Hustle, and I truly, truly appreciate it. And that is another episode of the Indie Film Hustle podcast. As always, keep that hustle going. Keep that dream alive. And I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Indie Film Hustle podcast at IndieFilmHustle.com. That's I-N-D-I-E-F-I-L-M-H-U-S-T-L-E.com. 